This is the American Variety Network on Block Talk Radio with Alex Cardinal. Live from Springfield, Massachusetts. Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays 2015 from all of us at the American Variety Network. Good evening, saltwater fish keepers. And welcome to the Saltwater Lecture Hour, here live on Aquarium Talk to Podcast, only on American Variety Network. I'm your host, Alex Cardinelli, and I'm really looking forward to tonight's episode of Saltwater Lecture Hour with Seth Fedry, because I learn a lot on this show with this wonderful co-host that I have. So I know that for a fact tonight I'm going to learn a lot, and all my listeners as well are going to learn a lot too. So right now I would like to welcome the knowledgeable co-host for this great saltwater show. Seth, how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing okay. Uh, I'm uh, enjoying this rainy weather we're having. Yeah, it's raining up here, too. We have a little bit of rain and cold weather combined. Oh, yeah, I'm uh, I'm glad to be on the show. This will be our third time, third show, I guess. We're going to be talking about uh, troubleshooting the saltwater aquarium, uh, what to do, how to ma- maintain it, uh, all about quarantine tanks and hospital tanks and everything in between. So I'm, I'm pretty excited to uh, go ahead and get started. Awesome. So it's going to be a lot of wonderful information for all of our beginners out there and advanced saltwater aquatics uh, keepers as well. So it's going to be a great show. Now, anyone out there listening live, if you have any questions for Seth, please feel free to call in at 1-347-989-8142. So our topic for tonight's show will include the common problems of a saltwater aquarium, the number one mistake when setting up a saltwater tank, what is nitrate and why is nitrate important in saltwater, and we'll have a discussion on algae and cyanobacteria, which is what I can't wait to talk about, and much more. So we're going to start this awesome saltwater lecture hour right after our introduction from the American Variety Network. So stick around because it's an awesome show starts right after this.
way, darling. I can remember when you could start with flowers. Oh, but ain't that America? You and me, ain't that America? Something to see, baby, ain't that America? Home of the free, yeah. Little pink algae.
You are tuned in live to the American Variety Network here, live on Blog Talk Radio. With a name like American Variety, you can expect a wide variety of topics. Now, let's get live here on the AV Network. Hi, Jeremy Stillhorn. I'm tuned into the American Variety Network, where I find the shows very educational and entertaining. Are you bold enough to call in and interact with tonight's topic? Well, prove it by calling in live at one three four seven nine eight nine eight one four two to ask questions about tonight's topic or share your thoughts on tonight's topic. Just pick up your phone and dial one three four seven nine eight nine eight one four two and go into a quiet location. Again, that's one three four seven nine eight nine eight one four two. Now let's get on with the show. saltwater clownfish, tans, and even corals and live rock. So fish keepers, sit back, relax, and unwind. Aquarium Talk the podcast is now on the air. Fish keeping listeners, it's Saltwater Saturday. Welcome to Saltwater Lecture Hour here on American Variety Network with your host Seth Vitrine, a former fish store owner and a saltwater enthusiast for over 10 years. Seth will be discussing anything and everything saltwater from setting up your first saltwater aquarium to raising corals and even getting your clownfish to host an anemone. Saltwater enthusiasts, this should be a fun saltwater show. So please give a round of applause and welcome your host of Saltwater Aquarium Lecture. Seth Vidrine and Alex Cardinale. Saltwater Aquarium Lecture is now live. Alrighty, so let's go ahead and get this episode of Saltwater Lecture Hour started. Today, we're going to talk about troubleshooting a saltwater aquarium. So, let's go ahead and get started. Seth, what are some common problems with a saltwater aquarium? Uh, well, uh, water quality is one of the main problems uh, that you uh, come across in saltwater aquariums. Either you're not using pure top-off water or you're feeding too much or, you know, something something's going wrong causing algae problems and cyanobacteria. Uh, so... Those are a few of the common problems. Uh, then you, you're talking about fish diseases, invert diseases, coral diseases, all sorts of different stuff that we're going to talk about uh, this episode. Uh, very well said. So 
what's number one mistake that people make when they're setting up their very first saltwater aquarium? Uh, in my personal opinion, I think uh, going too fast, getting started, going full speed uh, without actually sitting down, planning things out, doing some research first. Uh, a lot of people they'll go to a store, they'll uh, they'll see all the pretty saltwater fish, and they say, "Hmm, you know, I might uh, be able to buy everything today, and uh, maybe put a clownfish in my tank uh, by the evening." <laughs> And uh, it just doesn't work like that. Uh, you really ought to sit down, plan out what you like, what you want, do some research on the subject, uh, talk to your friends, talk to, uh, uh, you know, your local fish store owner or uh, somebody there. Fish store owners and, and uh, employees there, they'll know quite a bit of information but you'll still want to go to like some saltwater fish forums or uh, you know reef central, uh, reef to reef, some somewhere like that, and, and get additional information. Uh, planning your aquarium is something that uh, you ought to consider, uh, like uh, how big, where you're going to put it, how you're going to control the temperature, plan out you know what type of equipment that you're going to have. And, of course, the most important thing and why we all keep saltwater aquariums is your livestock. You want to know exactly what you're putting in your tank and what order that you're going to put your fish in the tank, uh, when you're going to start introducing corals and what corals you may want to introduce into your aquarium. So there comes a lot of planning when setting up a saltwater tank. You can't you can't just you know do it all in one day unless you're an absolute expert and know what you're doing and have all the knowledge and expertise like uh, the people who set up those tanks for uh, MACNA, the Marine Aquarium Consortium in North America. Those those people are awesome. That's a very good answer, and you're 100% right about. Uh, the number one mistake. I know that a lot of people when they enter the aquarium hobby for freshwater, they buy a tank the same day and they add their fish, but can't do that in saltwater because the fish will probably just die. Well, it's a very good possibility. Uh, we talked earlier uh, episode about how to cycle a tank and how long the cycle takes, uh, you know, averaging 30 days before you can even add your first fish. But uh, going too fast is one of the number one problems, and that that really entails everything from research to planning to budgeting all the way through adding your first fish for your first coral. So how does top-off water play a role in water quality? Well, uh, this is one of the uh, subjects that I got extremely interested in because the water quality uh, out of my tap uh, where I live in Louisiana is absolutely horrendous. Uh, In fact, uh, the utility company right now is being sued uh, because of poor water quality. And so quite naturally, uh, that spurred my interest in buying an RO unit and planning an RO unit. And, uh, Top-off water is perhaps one of the most important things to get right because you're constantly adding uh, fresh 
top off water to your tank, and if you're adding uh, nitrates and phosphates into your system, then you're going to have algae problems, you're going to have diatom problems from too much silicate, you're going to have possibly chlorine or chloramines in your system, uh, which can, of course, kill everything. Uh, for example, here in Louisiana, because the utility company is absolutely horrendous, they actually have to do a chlorine burn about once every month or two, and uh, that goes through my carbon filters quite quickly. Uh, so your top-off water plays uh, one of the key roles in, in maintaining and preventing problems long-term. You're not, You're not always constantly adding outside chemicals uh, to your tank uh, and things that can cause problems later on. Uh, if if you're having problems like with uh, diatoms, dinoflagellates, or, or algae or some organic matter like that, it's much easier to control uh, how much you feed, uh, your water flow and everything. And if if you can control that and you know that you have absolutely clean top-off water, uh, then then it's much easier to get under control long-term. So what exactly is top-off water? Top-off water uh, is what you add to your tank uh, because the water has evaporated off of your system. Um, uh because water evaporates H2O, it leaves behind the salt in your tank. Salt does not evaporate. Therefore, as your uh, water evaporates, it increases your salinity of the tank, uh, which can cause problems too. <laughs> That's what we're talking about here on this show. So uh, you want to keep uh, your tank topped off. Uh, with pure fresh water, RODI water or distilled water, uh, as often as you can, maintain levels. Uh, there are systems like auto top-off systems. Uh, Tunzi makes the osmolator. Uh, there's other ones like uh, JBJ auto top-off, but things like that that I can afford. <laughs> uh, uh, but it's all achieving the same effect. Uh, you want to top off the tank uh, pretty regularly to keep your salinity levels uh, where they should be within optimum range. And uh, just as a side note, salinity uh, is usually about 1.022 uh, specific gravity um, for a uh, uh, fish-only tank with live rock. And then when you get into corals, it needs to be a little bit higher, like uh, 1.024, 1.026 specific gravity. So what, what can happen if the salinity starts to get too high for the inverts and the fish and the animals living into the saltwater tank? Well, uh, since uh, the animals have to live in this water, um, they can only their their internal organs can only take so much. Uh, they have to get used to higher salinity levels. Uh, if their their uh, environment changes too much at one time, they can have problems. Uh, 
some creatures like uh, SPS or small polyp sclerotarian corals can be a lot more sensitive to salinity changes than other animals. Uh, fish are sensitive, uh, but not as, as sensitive as invertebrates are. So you have to make sure that, let's say, you get a uh, a shrimp home uh, from the live fish store. You want to go ahead and use a, a hydrometer, which I don't exactly recommend. I, I use a refractometer because it's much more accurate. They're about $50. You can sometimes find them for 40 uh, on Amazon. But they seem to be a lot more accurate as long as you uh, calibrate them. Uh, uh, and uh, anyways so you get your shrimp home and you find out that uh, the, the, the live fish store has a low salinity 1.020 or something like that and your tank is 1.026 you don't exactly want to uh, dump him in your tank after uh, tenth acclimating him, because then his internal organs have to make up for the uh, the salt uh, in the environment. So uh, <laughs> uh, you want to gradually, excuse me, gradually bring them up uh, to that specific gravity uh, by drip acclimation, which uh, can can save you a lot of. Uh, a headache if you do it the right way. Uh, drip acclimation is mm, one of the better methods uh, as far as uh, fish and maybe invertebrates go. Uh, it, it'll save uh, a lot of problems in the long run because they they do uh, uh, tend to uh, uh, have less problems over time. Very well said. A great answer. Now, my next question for you is, what exactly is water quality, and what can you do to control organic water parameters? Uh, well, let's define those organic water parameters real quick. Um, a couple of the main things that we look at uh, in a saltwater aquarium is uh, nitrate and phosphate. Uh, we measure it through test kits. Uh, algae cyanobacteria, dinoflagellates, uh, all kinds of different things that grow in your tank that might you might not necessarily want in there, uh, feed off of these or, or, uh, organic compounds, uh, nitrate and phosphate. And um, if let's say, for example, if you have an algae problem and you check your nitrate and phosphate levels, uh, they might be zero. Uh, because the algae in the tank is sucking up all the nitrate and phosphate out of the water uh, column and putting it in their tissues. So you actually do have a problem with nitrate and phosphate. And um, uh, you can uh, limit it by perhaps washing uh, the uh, juice out of your mysa shrimp or any type of uh, frozen prepared foods. Uh, you can limit the amount of food that you put in your tank. Uh, you can limit the photo period because algae uh, requires light to grow. 
Uh, let me see. What was the original question again? I'm sorry. Uh, I I often do that and go off on a tangent. What are That's the okay. organic compounds? Yes, uh, and how to control them. Uh, okay, so, yeah, I'm on track. Um, so, there's, you limit the light, the photo period. Uh, typically, people keep their lights on for roughly 8 to 12 hours, uh, depending on their daylight cycle. Uh, if you're having an algae problem, you might want to go down to 6 to 4 hours. Uh, it just depends on how bad it is. Um and then, uh, like I said, you can limit the amount of food that you put in your tank. You can check your top-off water to make sure that there's no nitrate and phosphate in it. Um, you can uh, 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 take out some fish in your tank. If your fish is overloaded, uh, uh, overcrowded, you might want to take out a couple of fish. Uh, low bio loads tend to do a little better in some systems than higher bio loads. Um, of course, like if you have a fish only with live rock tank, you uh, you might not actually need the uh, powerful lights that a reef tank has. So you could limit algae growth by simply getting some one watt LED light strips uh, instead of investing in in big lighting systems, and uh, that ought to prevent some algae growth. Uh, so basically the name of the game when it comes to that is uh, limiting nitrate phosphate. Um, another, a few pieces of equipment uh, that can do the same uh, is a protein skimmer. Uh, protein skimmers or foam fractionators. It basically means that it injects air into salt water, and uh, the the process of the air being injected into the salt water creates bubbles. And the bubbles destabilize the proteins that are in the water, and it makes those proteins really sticky. So they stick to the bubbles, and as the bubbles rise, uh, it collects even more dissolved organic compounds. And at the top uh, of the collection chamber, uh, you'll see a bunch of green or brown uh, sludge accumulated over time. Uh, that's basically what happens when uh, dissolved, when uh, organic compounds are removed from the system before they have a chance to break down into nitrate or phosphate. Uh, some people argue, though, that uh, uh, protein skimmers remove uh, food that corals may eat. Um, I uh, I come under the assumption that it's a real possibility, but uh, you should be feeding your corals anyway and not just rely on not removing them through a protein skimmer. Uh, algae scrubbers remove uh, nitrate and phosphate through the water through biological means by growing hair algae on mats uh, for removal later. Um, I feel like algae scrubbers do a great job. Uh, they're not for everybody. They're not for beginners, typically, uh, or people who don't maintain their tanks very often. Uh, there are protein skimmers that do a better job uh as far as removing uh, 
dissolved organic compounds from the system pretty regularly. Very well said. Now, what is nitrate, and how does it enter the system? Okay, nitrate uh, is the end uh, end product of the nitrogen cycle. Well, not next to the end product, I should say. Um, first, you have ammonia, and uh, everything living in your tank uh, excretes ammonia, basically, into the water column. Uh, your fish... Uh, have to uh, release waste. Uh, that waste breaks down into ammonia, and uh, then a set of bacteria convert it into nitrite. And you see where I'm going with this. This is the nitrogen cycle again. Uh, next is nitrate. Uh, nitrate is the second to last uh, part of the nitrogen cycle. Uh, the end part is nitrogen gas. And our aquariums um, aren't exactly well-equipped biologically to handle um, uh, uh, nitrate unless you have a biological means of converting it into nitrogen gas. Uh, there are some people who still run deep sand beds uh, six-plus inches deep uh, for anaerobic bacteria to break down nitrate. Um, some people have remote, deep, or really deep sand beds, uh, which I find pretty fascinating since you can remove it from the system and clean it once every two years or so. Uh, and then, of course, you have protein skinning, which will also remove uh, compounds before they have a chance to uh, break down into nitrate. So uh, I hope I answered that as far to my knowledge as, as I know. That was a great answer, and once your nitrate test zero, your cycle's almost done, right? Uh, your your cycle is never done. Uh, it's a cycle that continues uh, going as long as you have your saltwater aquarium, and it can be interrupted. Uh, you know, you have your initial cycle when you first start your aquarium. Uh, you're going to have a lot of ammonia because you don't yet have a lot of bacteria in your system. Uh, and then later on, uh, let's say uh, a fish dies in your tank and you can't find him because he's been wedged in a rock and your invertebrates, your cleanup crew gets to him before you do. Uh, his body will break down into ammonia and the bacteria in your tank might not be enough to handle that waste. So you might actually see some ammonia and nitrite in your system until there's enough bacteria to handle it. So your cycle never actually ends. Well, that's very good to know. Now, my next question is about phosphate. So what is phosphate? How does it acclimate? And how do you maintain it? Well, uh, phosphate uh, can be added through bad top-off water. Uh, it's used uh, in part uh, for DNA, uh, little phosphor linkages in, in DNA uh, of algae, cyanobacteria, dinoflagellates, anything living that has DNA in it. Uh, so 
basically if you want to limit phosphates, you limit the amount of problems, organic problems that could occur in the system. Um, so, for example, you want to have the absolute best top-off water you can possibly have. Uh, you want to limit the amount of food going into your system. Um, I'm not saying starve your fish, of course, but if you have a test, excuse me, a test kit for phosphate, I recommend uh, testing uh, once, maybe twice a month or so, and uh, see if you're feeding too much by uh, looking at, at what your phosphate level is. Uh, there are some aquarists, uh, some major name aquarists in the industry that actually have very high phosphates in their very mature uh, aquariums, and it does really well. Um, maybe because they have, I don't know, top-of-the-line equipment, or maybe their uh, tank is mature enough to handle it, or they simply have the cleanup crew to, to take care of it. I'm not exactly sure how that uh, that that really works, <clears throat> but uh, phosphate you want to limit, um, and it usually comes through two things: top off water and too much food. Very good. Very uh, appreciate the answer, and uh, a lot of people can uh, use that information now. So. My last question before our uh, intermers, intermission is uh, what is some equipment that aquarists can use to maintain high levels of water quality? Uh, well, I'll go through uh, the top three or top top four that you want to uh, uh, take care of, uh, which is ammonia, nitrite, nitrate, and phosphate. Those are the main contributors to uh, organic problems in your system, that, such as algae and bacteria, cyanobacteria, diatoms, dinoflagellates. Uh, your ammonia and nitrite could technically be taken care of by fluidized sand bed filter. That's usually uh, a piece of equipment that large fish hatcheries uh, run and with uh, high bio loads in their uh, their system. So if you're running like a breeding operation or something, you might want to look into a fluidized sand bed filter. If you're uh, breeding and hatching a lot of clownfish, uh, it cuts down on ammonia and nitrite. Uh, there's biological means of removing nitrate and phosphate from your water. Uh, such as a uh, algae scrubber, which grows hair algae on a screen uh, for you to remove manually later. Uh, there is growing macroalgae in a refugium. Uh, refugium is a separate container of water that you can use to uh, grow your macroalgae, and uh, it acts as a refuge for invertebrates that might otherwise get eaten in your main display tank, as well as eating the fish eating the macroalgae in your main display tank. Uh, there's a uh, uh, deep sand bed, which I discussed earlier, and deep sand beds uh, help to reduce nitrate uh, by converting nitrate into nitrogen gas, and then it's expelled from the aquarium. Uh, phosphate and nitrate can be reduced 
um, by protein skimming. Uh, it's uh, protein skimmers are wide and varied. Uh, you can pay anywhere from fifty dollars to twelve hundred dollars. It just depends on what you want, what your tank's needs are. Uh, I personally, I look around for the best deals. Um, I ask around to see what other people use based on the tank size and and uh, what they have in their tank compared to what I have as far as fish and coral bioloads are. Uh, so, and then I usually go plus one, which means like. If I have a 75-gallon aquarium, I usually buy a protein skimmer rated for a 100-gallon tank. Um, just in case there's a uh, an invertebrate, coral, or a fish that dies, you kind of want all that organic matter removed from the system before it can break down into ammonia. Uh, and then, of course, one of the, the, the biggest ways to reduce nitrate and phosphate in your system is to do regular water changes. Uh, you want to take and do a proper water change, which means you stir up your detritus, and then you suck out as much of it as possible through a siphon uh, or a pump or whatever that you have. Uh, you want to remove as much dead or organic material from the rocks and around the sand bed as much as possible. And uh, all that food that accumulates, all the dead algae on the sand or, or within the rocks, you want to remove. And that will help uh, keep it from breaking down into nitrate and phosphate and becoming a problem later on. So those are all things that you can do uh, to limit uh, the amount of organic. And I keep saying organic because, I mean, algae problems, dinoflagellates, uh, uh, diatoms and cyanobacteria and so on um, so those are all the, the kinds of pieces of equipment that you could add to your system and different methods you can try to limit or reduce the amount of nitrate and phosphate in your system very good now I actually heard from somebody on a forum that I'm on that if you have a protein skimmer you're able to add more fish to your tank or in other words you can actually overstock your tank. Is that true? Well, it's a complex uh, question, complex answer. Um, technically, you can fill your tank as as, as far as aggressiveness is concerned. Uh, if you have too many fish in your tank, uh, they might not all be compatible. Uh fish also get stressed out if there's too many tank mates. Uh, so you could possibly, uh, as far as that goes, uh, you know, let, let's say you hatch out uh, 200 or even 15, let's just say 1,500 maroon clownfish babies. You can have 1,500 maroon clownfish babies in a in a 400-gallon uh, horse trough. <laughs> and now I know I'm talking about breeding operation, but this is what I know. Uh, you can you can have that many fish in that tank as long as you have the equipment necessary in order to limit your 
ammonia, nitrate, nitrite, and so on. You can have all those fish, and they're compatible because they were from the same uh, species, they grew up together, etc. But if you have a display tank that has many different species, you might not get a whole lot of fish in that system because they might not be compatible. Very well said. I appreciate your answer to that uh, that question. Alrighty, so some awesome information already on this great show. So right now we're going to go ahead and take our quick intermission. And during this intermission we're going to hear two Christmas songs because it's almost Christmas time already. And the songs we're going to hear today is Rocking Around the Christmas Tree and it's beginning to look like Christmas. And then we're going to hear a song from our sponsor, Ryan Serini, called Tin Man. And then coming up after our quick intermission is the part of the show that I'm waiting for, and that's going to be a discussion on calcium, carbonate, and magnesium. Also, we'll talk about allergies and cyanobacteria. So we've got some more awesome information coming up with Sesedrine, right after our quick intermercial. Coming up next, next. Discussion on calcium carbonate and magnesium in a saltwater aquarium, plus a discussion on saltwater allergy and cyanobacteria, and we'll chat about fish and coral illnesses live next on Saltwater Lecture Hour with Seth Pedrine, right here live on American Variety Network. This intermission is being brought to you by rapper Ryan Serini. Check out his website at www.ryanserini.com. And listen to his wonderful rap songs on iTunes. Let's keep it serene right here on American Variety Network. and ten glistening once again with candy canes and silver lanes aglow it's beginning to look a lot like christmas toys in every store but the prettiest sight to see is the holly that will be on your own front door a pair of hop-along boots and a pistol that chooses the wish of Barney and Ben. Dolls that'll talk and we'll go for a walk as the hope for Janice and Jen. And Mom and Dad can hardly wait for school to start again. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas everywhere you go. Now there's a tree in the Grand Hotel. One in the park as well The sturdy kind that doesn't mind the snow It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas 
them ring is the carol that you sing right within your heart. A pair of hop-along boots and a pistol that shoots Is the wish of Barney and Ben Dolls that'll talk and we'll go for a walk Is the hope for Janice and Jen And the mom and dad can hardly wait for school to start again It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas Soon the bells will start Make them ring is the carol that you sing right within your heart. around the Christmas tree at the Christmas party hop. Now, like, who's this? 
Cause the girl I love don't exist And this may be cold, but I don't know you You two look alike, but you don't come close to The girl I used to know, I ain't seen in years She disappeared, but her scent's still here So every day I reminisce of what used to be Then I'm reminded of everything she did to me We're not kids no more, why the mind games? You used to know what you want, what the fuck changed? I hate to be so direct but I got enough respect for you to tell you the truth And I know I wasn't perfect But what did I do to deserve this? My mind's like a circus, call me a surgeon Have them open my chest if there's anything left This is the hardest thing I've ever had to do I look at you to tell you the truth Tell you after all we've been through Truth is I don't love you I can't give you what you want I'm just a tin man, I have no heart Baby, call me the tin man Baby, call me the Tin Man. I'll never quite understand why you leave me. Which leads me to believe I lack security. I know it's wrong to assume, but it eats me. I think I need a minute. This shit's sickening. Pacing back and forth. Can't retrace my steps. Falling faster than ever with no safety net. I'm losing myself in all the worst ways. Holding on to grudges from my teenage days. Chest out, chin up, trying to bounce back. I'm no island, but I refuse to relapse. I wish I was lying. I've lost all feeling. No remorse for the hearts I plan on stealing. Thought I was stronger than this. I'm frozen, it's not like me to show this sort of emotion I trust no one, my heart's become a mess Can search my whole life, I'll never find it This is the hardest thing I've ever had to do I look at you to tell you the truth Tell you, after all we've been through Truth is, I don't love you I can't give you what you want I'm just a tin man, I have no heart Baby, call me the tin man Baby, call me the tin man can't wrap my head around it, my head's clouded, sick of having a heart, better off without it, see the more I care, the more I hurt, love's my quicksand, can't escape this curse, kerosene in my dreams, you burned everything, now all we had is gone, faded memories, I might eat these words, but I'm better off, I need amnesia, wanna forget it all, if I knew then, what I know now, I never would've let you in, definite lockout, I'm not passing blame, I blame myself, for giving you my heart when you love someone else. And your shadow lurks over me every night when I'm sleeping with her. And it hurts her more than it hurts me. Can't give her what she needs because I'm empty. This is the hardest thing I've ever had to do. I look at you to tell you the truth. Tell you after all we've been through. Truth is I don't love you. I can't give you what you want. I'm just a tin man. I have no heart. Baby, call me the tin man. Baby, call me the tin man. Baby, call me the tin man. Are you enjoying tonight's episode of the American Variety Network? Great! The American Variety Network really appreciates your listening. We also appreciate listener feedback. Please feel free to email us your thoughts and opinions on tonight's show. Our email address is AmericanVarietyNetwork at Comcast.net. That's American Variety Network at Comcast.net. You may also email us with any questions, comments, or concerns. 
you may have about our show, you can also email us to book a guest appearance on the American Variety Network, or you may contact us to become a sponsor of the American Variety Network. American Variety Network at Comcast.net. Would you like to find out when the next episode of the American Variety Network is? Do you want to find out the news and updates for the American Variety Network? Well, all you have to do is go on your computer and log on to the social media sites. The American Variety Network is now on Facebook and Twitter. That's right, you can find the American Variety Network on Facebook and Twitter. Like our fan page on Facebook called American Variety Network and follow us on Twitter. Our Twitter fan page is at American Network One. Again, our fan page on Facebook is American Variety Network. Hit like and our fan page on Twitter is at American Network One and hit follow. While you're here listening to this show on Blog Talk Radio, feel free to check out some of the other great shows Blog Talk Radio has to offer. There are shows for everyone, whether it be sports shows, politics shows, comedy shows, talk shows, and yes, even church religious shows. Become a loyal listener of Blog Talk Radio. Today, blogtalkradio.com. Breaking news just into the American Variety Network studios. On Monday, November 30th, 2015 at 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central, 7 p.m. Mountain and 6 p.m. Pacific, Alex is going to share some groundbreaking news and announcements that will shock the American Variety Network and Blog Talk Radio. What is the news? Well, you're going to have to tune in live on Monday, November 30th because no one is going to find out. Suspense is the best. Plus there will also be a special surface guest returning to the American Variety Network for the first time in over a year. So what is the major news? We will find out on November 30th. Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays from Alex Cardinali and all of us at the American Variety Network. Make sure you buy your loved ones so awesome gifts. Enjoy the 2015 Christmas and holiday season. American Variety Network is your one stop for awesome Christmas shows during the holiday season. Expect a Christmas movie show, a Christmas giveaway, a Christmas music throwdown, and even Christmas cooking and baking shows. Nobody does Christmas like the American Variety Network. Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays listeners. Christmas and the happiest new year. Oh! 
How would you like to win a $10 gift card to Peco, Dunkin' Donuts, McDonald's, or Walmart or a batch of Chef Alex's delicious homemade cookies? Well, you could win one of these prizes on American Variety Network's first ever Christmas 2015 giveaway which will air live on Tuesday, December 15, 2015 at 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central, 7 p.m. Mountain and 6 p.m. Pacific. Four lucky people will win a $10 gift card and two others will get to experience Chef Alex's awesome cookies. So how can you win a Christmas present from Alex Cardinale and the American Variety Network? Well first you must tune in live to the 2015 Christmas giveaway. To win a prize on the show on December 15th you must. Call in at 1-347-989-8142 and pick one of the following. A. Discuss your favorite kind of Christmas cookie, moment, or what you like about Christmas. B. Discuss what you would do with the gift card. C. Then state which gift card you'd like. For the cookie giveaway, all you need to do is discuss your favorite cookie. Only open to USA citizens. You're listening to the American Variety Network. Your only place for variety on Blog Talk Radio. Fish keeping listeners, it's Saltwater Saturday. Welcome to Saltwater Lecture Hour here on American Variety Network with your host Seth Vitrine, a former fish store owner and a saltwater enthusiast for over 10 years. Seth will be discussing anything and everything saltwater from setting up your first saltwater aquarium to raising corals and even getting your clownfish to host an anemone. Saltwater enthusiasts, this should be a fun saltwater show. So please give a round of applause and welcome your host of Saltwater Aquarium Lecture, Seth Vidrine and Alex Cardinale. Saltwater Aquarium Lecture is now live. Saltwater Fish Keepers, welcome back to Saltwater Lecture Hour here on Aquarium Talk to Podcast, live only on American Variety Network. Tonight, we're talking about troubleshooting your saltwater aquarium. And before our wonderful intermission, which is brought to you by rapper entertainer from Chicago, Ryan Serini, we talked about nitrates and why they're important in the saltwater aquarium and a lot of other good information. So now we're going to talk about calcium carbonate and magnesium and their role in a saltwater aquarium, algae, and some other important things to know about troubleshooting a saltwater aquarium. But before I do that, I'd like to remind any of my live listeners out there, if you got a saltwater question for the man with the knowledge on saltwater, Cesped Ryan, please call in at one three four seven nine eight nine eighty one forty two that's one three four seven nine eight nine eight one four two so let's get back into our discussion on troubleshooting a saltwater aquarium so Seth what is calcium carbonate and magnesium's 
role in a saltwater aquarium, and what are some examples of proper proper levels? Well, uh, of course, this goes on to the inorganic side of keeping a saltwater aquarium, especially if you have corals uh, uh, in, in a reef tank, uh, calcium, and uh, of course, its constituents, uh, alkalinity, magnesium, is very important in a reef tank uh, to maintain so that the corals can take those uh, chemicals and make their skeletons. Um, so calcium uh, ions are basically grabbed out of the water by these corals. <laughs> There's a more complex way that they do it, but that's, that's as far as I can go into it. They grab these ions out of the water. They combine them with uh, carbonate, uh, and then that's how they basically are able to secrete uh, their skeletons and build upon themselves. Now, this is mainly for LPS and SPS corals, uh, and it's important to keep those levels in line uh, when having a reef tank. So in order to do that, you need to know um, your levels to begin with. Uh, that means having an accurate test kit. I personally have used anything from API test kits to Seachem to Elos and uh, even HANA uh, checkers. Uh, some are more accurate methods than others. Uh, for people who are on a budget, API seems to be okay uh, as far as the calcium alkalinity and, uh, levels go. Uh, they're uh, semi-accurate. If you want to go into more detail uh, with magnesium, something other like a titrate test kit uh, from Seachem uh, sells a you know, kit that has both calcium, uh, excuse me, alkalinity and magnesium, and their magnesium test kit is relatively easy to use. But you got to know your levels uh, before you can... Uh, change them, alter them, or keep them in, in balance. And uh, what I recommend is test if you have a reef tank that has a high bioload, uh, something that water changes can't keep up with. So you have a bunch of uh, corals in it that may use calcium and alkalinity. Even some leathers can use calcium, alkalinity, magnesium, uh, which are soft corals. But for the most part, I'm talking about high bioload tanks with LPS and SP, SPS corals. Uh, you're going to need to monitor those levels. Now, what exactly are the levels that I'm talking about? Well, uh, in ocean water, uh, you're looking at calcium level of 420 ppm. Alkalinity is about 7.5 or so dKH. Um and magnesium is 1250 to 1350 uh, ppm. So in our reef tanks, it's a little bit different. Um, a lot of people either like to run exact uh, ocean water levels all the time. Uh, some people like to alter it to uh, be more. So, uh, for example, instant ocean uh, reef uh, excuse me, instant ocean salt, 
has natural uh, seawater mix, basically. So it's closer to uh, what you would find in the ocean. Uh, reef crystals uh, made by Instant Ocean has a little bit extra calcium, alkalinity, and magnesium in it uh, for a higher bioload uh, tank with a lot of corals. Uh, you also have a whole bunch of other uh, salt mixes uh, that have different levels of trace elements necessary for corals to thrive. So you can't can't really just uh, sometimes rely on water changes to make up for you know everything and keep everything in balance. So you're going to need to get those uh, test kits to know if your uh, uh, salt mix is even going bad or, or wrong or not mixing right. So uh, I usually even mix up a batch of uh, test salt mix to make sure that the batch that I have is mixing up correctly. So I usually uh, mix up uh, a batch. I test it to see where the levels are at and if I prefer higher levels of calcium and alkalinity then I'll add, uh, I'll do a water change and then I'll possibly add calcium in first and then alkalinity later that day uh, to to increase my levels. I personally like to keep my calcium level at 460 ppm and my alkalinity at about 10 dKH. I find that my corals grow better that way. Uh, it might not be for your tank because, um, like I said in a previous episode, you have to get to know your tank's personality. If anybody's familiar with uh, uh, <laughs> that saying in the industry, um, but anyway, it's it's very important to know where your levels are at and uh, how to bring them up. There's also a bunch of reef calculators that you can go on the internet. And you can select what uh, what mix you have. So if you do a homemade mix or if you buy a certain product to use to increase your calcium and alkalinity levels, uh, you can go on there to the reef calculator, put in your volume, and find out exactly how much that you need to add, which I always keep uh, a, uh, a little, uh, they call them uh, medical, uh, Nah. It's a, a a glass a measurement glass. It has ounces and tablespoons and everything on it. They sell at medical supply. Uh, I prefer those little glasses because I have a small tank, but they 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 come in larger sizes for larger tanks at, at those medical supply places. Um, I use Randy's mix. Uh, you can go on Reef Central. You can find uh, Randy Holmes Farley uh, t- DIY two-part mixes. Um, it's basically calcium chloride, uh, ma- uh, magnesium sulfate or Epsom salt. And uh, for alkalinity, you have uh, baking soda or sodium bicarbonate or uh, sodium carbonate, whichever one you want to use. There's different recipes that you can do, and you can save yourself a little money by uh, making it yourself. Or if you want to go the safe route, uh, which many people do, and there's nothing wrong with it, 
Uh, you can buy pre-made solutions at your local fish store. But uh, those are basically the levels. Uh, like I said, I like to keep my calcium at 460 ppm, my alkalinity at 10 dKH or, or mill equivalents per liter, uh, and my uh, magnesium in the 1350 to 1450 range. I know those those levels are a little high, but I run an SPS tank, and I kind of like to see a lot of growth in my corals. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, and uh, I, I want to add uh, uh, the the interactions between these chemicals are very important because if you have low magnesium, then your calcium and alkalinity might not balance correctly. So you might test and your alkalinity will be low, your calcium will be high, and so on and so forth. So if you're you're constantly adding uh, one chemical and, and it's never enough, your magnesium might be off. Uh, if your alkalinity is low and you add too much alkalinity at one time or uh, sodium bicarbonate, baking soda, basically, uh, uh, you can do alkalinity alkalinity burn on your corals so you want to basically add it in really slow and drop at a time whatever it takes just add it in slow or else you're going to turn your sand bed into a slab of concrete (laughs) 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 oh and then the other thing is that alkalinity uh, to define it for you uh, is the resistance to the change of pH so basically, the higher your alkalinity is, the less likely your pH is to swing. So if you have a low alkalinity, then you're risking a pH swing. And of course, our uh, aquarium inhabitants don't like pH swings. They don't like uh, uh, having low pH or uh, a more acidic pH uh, in a saltwater aquarium. So you know, if you're having pH problems. Uh, don't keep dumping pH buffers in your tank um, because it's it's not doing any good. You have to know where your calcium, alkalinity, and magnesium levels are uh, and get them properly balanced uh, before you just start dumping pH buffers in your tank. It, it, it pH buffers are a temporary fix to a long-term problem, and I don't recommend doing that. So is the calcium levels and the magnesium levels more uh, uh, more important in reef tanks than they are fish only the slide rock tanks? Well, yes. Uh, with reef tanks, you really have to know uh, where your levels are sitting. Uh, of course, in a, uh, a fish-only system, uh, fish still have bones, <laughs> and uh, they grow, too. So, you, you know... You, you, you kind of got to pay attention to, to stuff like that, um, but it's it's a lot more important to be ba- well balanced uh, in a reef tank. Um, with a fish only tank, you might just be looking at you know regular water changes to get the detritus and and uh, nitrate and phosphate out of your system, and with just a regular uh, salt like instant ocean or something like that, as long as you're doing regular water changes. It ought to be enough calcium and alkalinity, magnesium in the water to uh, 
to uh, help your fish and maybe even grow some of that pretty purple coralline algae people like to to see. Yeah, I'm starting to wonder if I should switch salts right now because I'm using that reef crystals, but I only have fish swimming with live rock right now. Well, it depends on what your purpose is, uh, what you want to do. You know, are you wanting to grow coralline algae or, I mean... Probably not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Would there be any impact if I switched to the instant ocean uh, regular salt? If I stopped using the oh yeah, that's that's a very good question. Uh, we had a discussion a few years ago about about this very thing. Um, there are such thing as. Um, Mixing uh, natural salt with uh, synthetic salt. Let's say, for example, if you're using a synthetic blend of salt for long term, uh, the bacteria in your tank might get used to that certain mix. And then as soon as you switch over and do a a water change with a natural salt, uh, you're looking at different types of trace elements and different supplies. So you might kill off certain bacteria and and then start another mini cycle. Uh I've seen people go from a synthetic salt to a natural salt and then crash their tank and then wonder why. And then they'll come on the forum and say, Hey, why why did my tank crash? Well I switched salts. Yep, that's your problem. Yeah, um, so anyways, if you're switching from a synthetic to a synthetic there shouldn't be much of an issue at all. If you're switching between the same brand, there shouldn't be an issue. But if you're switching from synthetic to natural salt or a natural salt to a synthetic salt, uh, you might want to uh, blend the salt mixes together uh, in different ratios, like a quarter to a half to three-quarter, and then eventually the, the whole thing. You don't want to necessarily do a complete water change with a different, whole different uh, blend of salt. Uh, so you need to mix the two salts together in different ratios and get get more, you know, build your tank up to it, to the different uh, salt mix so that you don't have any issues. Awesome, that's good to know. I appreciate that. So I'll probably keep my reef crystal salt for now. No, don't let that uh, 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 change your mind. Uh, uh, you know, if you want to change salts, uh, just make sure that you're switching from synthetic to synthetic or, or so on. Uh, but don't don't think that since you've been using a specific salt that you can't change salts at all. It just means that you need to be aware and use caution. Oh, very good to know. So I'll, I'll do that. Sounds pretty good. Now, uh, we're going to talk about allergy now, and I know allergy can be a nuisance. So uh, what is allergy? Why does it grow? And how do you limit its growth? And what are some examples of allergy? Uh, well, I'll start with the examples first. Uh the most common type of uh, nuisance algae is uh, hair algae. Uh, we're all extremely familiar with hair algae. 
if you've been in the hobby long enough to experience it. Um, you can remove it uh, uh, by basically the same means as other algaes. Uh, you have slime algae, uh, which is what accumulates on your glass uh, that's uh, brown or green and so on. Uh, and then you have uh, macroalgaes that can be a nuisance. Uh, catamorpha, um, chato, as some people call it, or cato, um, or even keto. I've heard it pronounced uh, several different ways. Uh, then you have um, uh, Calerpa, Calerpa mexicana, uh, Calerpa taxifolia, uh, all different types of Calerpas. Basically, they're macroalgaes. They can be removed, uh, or you could even buy a fish that eats it. Uh, so what what is algae? What causes it? Um, algae is uh, photosynthetic organisms. They use light, energy, and water to produce uh, py- pyruvate. It's basically a, um, almost an end process of photosynthesis. Uh, they make glucose to build their cells or whatever. Um, sorry, I, I don't don't really need to go into the biology of it, but. Uh, it's basically a photosynthetic organism, um, uh, and the most common type is hair algae. Uh, it's caused by bad top-off water, overfeeding, not getting rid of the detritus already in your tank, uh, using having poor water quality, having too many things die in your tank before they're removed, Um could be the type of salt that you're using. If you're using a salt that uh, isn't nitrate and phosphate free, um, there's also some chemicals on the market, um, additives to the tank, uh, uh, some foods and coral foods and stuff that has high levels of phosphate and nitrate in it. So you kind of got to be aware of how much you're feeding, what you're feeding. Uh, what you're using to top off your tank with, and and uh, even how long your photo period is. Uh, by that, I mean, um, you know, if you're you're leaving your lights on 16 hours a day, even though you don't really have a nitrate or ni- uh, phosphate problem, you might just be giving your tank too much light for too long, and it can even cause algae issues. So. Uh, just be aware of the overall tank, what you're putting in it, uh, and what it looks like on a daily basis. Observation is is key to uh, cutting off problems before they start, uh, and it begins with testing. Uh, unfortunately, uh, a lot of aquarists uh, rely a lot on test kits, and the further you get in the hobby, the the more you realize. It's extremely important to know where your water levels are, what your water quality is, uh, and what causes these problems to begin with, which I have listed. Very well said. Now, I know that a lot of people like myself love the algae-eating fish and the uh, cleanup crew that eat algae. So what are some algae-eating fish and inverse that will eat algae in an aquarium? Uh, well, uh, 
everybody's favorite is a lawnmower blending. Uh, they'll oh, eat nice. a ton of algae. Um, they'll eat so much algae that they'll starve to death if you don't feed them extra. <laughs> uh, you have uh, sea cucumbers that will turn over your sand bed. And you have uh, hermit crabs that generally pick on everything, including other snails. Uh, there's tons of different types of snails that you can buy. Um, uh, turbo snails and astrea snails are perhaps two of the most common. Uh, for the new beginner getting started in, in the saltwater hobby, I don't recommend margarita snails because they're cheap and everybody likes them but they're actually cold water snails and they end up dying way too quickly because they're in in tropical tanks. Uh, so try to avoid margarita snails unless you have a cold water tank. Um, Astria snails, there's, I, I believe, voodoo snails or something like that. There's ninja snails. <laughs> there's bumblebee snails and the serious snails. Mm -hmm. uh, all different kinds of snails. And not all snails eat algae. Uh, for example, I, I believe it's the serious snails that actually eat meat and live in the sand bed. So, uh, you know... There's there's a lot of things, different things to consider uh, when it comes to choosing a cleanup crew. Uh, there are also some crabs that actually eat um, uh, nuisance algae. For example, uh, green mithrax crabs, uh, commonly known as uh, green emerald crabs. Uh, they have kind of blunt pinch, pinchers on them, so you kind of get an idea that they don't capture um, prey. Uh, they'll eat valeria, uh, not valeria. Um, no, I won't use the scientific word. I forgot it. Bubble algae. Uh, everybody knows the bane of bubble algae if you've been in the hobby long enough. It's uh, the largest single-celled organism on Earth. <laughs> um, bubble algae, if you pop it, it just goes everywhere and spreads. Uh, but these crabs seem to have come up with ways of how to eat it and control it and maintain it uh, to where it's not a problem in a saltwater aquarium. Ah, nice. I'd love uh, lawnmower, lawnmower blending in the snails, too. No, as far as other fish go, there are a ton of herbivores out there. A lot of fish in the ocean eat um, algae. Uh, if you have a big tank, uh, you're looking at uh, surgeon fish, tangs and stuff, oh, nice. uh, bristle tooth, uh, uh, tangs, and so on and so forth. They'll eat and pick around a live rock all day, uh, all the time. Uh, then you have uh, angelfish. Uh, they'll eat some algae. Uh, you have... Just, just a ton of choices out there as long as your tank is big enough to maintain them yeah I love the tanks myself I'm actually converting my 120 into a saltwater tank just so I can have the yellow tank and a, a yellow belly blue hippo tank oh yeah oh. <laughs> finding uh, dories coming out pretty soon <laughs> <laughs> oh I know it's going to put the blue hippo tank in more popular more people are going to be getting them now I bet 
I hope so, as long as they're responsible aquarists. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know that the uh, yellow tank is now captive bright, which is pretty cool. That is really cool. I'm glad that the uh, the uh, saltwater aquarium industry has been able to breed and uh, um, and aquaculture tons of fish within recent years. It makes the uh, the hobby more sustainable over a period of time. Yeah, that's true. I wonder when the uh, captive bred yellow tanks are going to hit the market. It's probably pretty soon, right? Oh, I have no idea, personally. Um, it's been a while since I've bred any fish uh, or been on that side of the hobby. So uh, let's talk about the uh, cyanobacteria now. What is cyanobacteria? Why does it grow, and how can you limit its growth? Well, cyanobacteria is a um, it's it's kind of a cross between an algae and a bacteria. It's a blue green algae. Uh, it uses um, uh, light like algae. It's photosynthetic. Uh, it grows in mats. Um, it grows all over rocks, sand beds, in low flow areas. It has dead spots where detritus and food can accumulate. Uh, it grows naturally in deep sand beds, uh, and in fact, it can uh, even uh, occasionally produce its own nitrate. So it's kind of a hard organism to crack. Um, first of all, you have to provide adequate water flow, uh, at least 10 times uh, the volume of your tank uh, uh, turnover rate. You also have to uh, have, became aware that I was talking, I'm sorry, <laughs> uh, you have to have high water flow and basically 20, uh, 10 to 40 times turnover rate, uh, cut down on your uh, lighting schedule, uh, limit your phosphate, your nitrate, try uh, to suction as much of it out as you can every water change. Um and as long as you're following the directions on the ChemiClean antibiotic uh, that you can buy, it's roughly $20 uh, at the live fish store. You can buy ChemiClean. And as long as you're following the directions, uh, it's it's a very good product. Of course, uh, have your water ready to go, 50% water change to suck out as much of the, of the dead cyanobacteria as you can. And then uh, try your best to, to keep it from coming back with better water flow and better water quality through um, uh, better top-off water and so on and so forth. Now, I know there's another kind of uh, allergy out there. It might be considered a final bacteria, but I'm not sure. But I'm talking about ditoms. What are they and what are they caused by? Well, diatoms are actually a, a really neat little creature. Uh, do you know the white cliffs of Dover? Yes. Yeah, that's basically made of diatoms. Uh, they've been bleached, but, but it's basically leftover glass crystals made by diatoms millions and millions of years ago. And uh, <laughs> oh, uh, they grow from silicate. 
and so your initial cycle uh, usually has silicate in it, and once the diatoms use that silicate in the initial cycle, you'll see them everywhere, they'll grow, and then after a little while, they're, they'll disappear because they use up all the silicate in the water. Excuse me. Um, and then if you ever have problems with your RO system and silicate leaks through, or if you add silicate, for example, for your snails, radula, or jaws to chew or whatever, if you want to do it anyway, you'll see another uh, diatom bloom. Uh, but generally, you want to... Uh, uh, limit the amount of silicate that gets in your system because if you're adding silicate, then you might as well be adding nitrate and phosphate too. You know, through bad top off water or whatever. Very well said. So, diatoms are basically brown in color, right? Uh, well, actually, under the microscope, they could be brown, they could be clear, they can be red, they can be almost anything. The uh, the silicate part, though, is, is basically clear, uh, and then over time it bleaches like the white cliffs of Dover. Oh, very nice. I never knew that about diatoms. It's nice to learn a few things about them. Yeah, it's really neat. Uh, kind of like diatomaceous earth. Hmm. So now I want to talk about uh, two of my favorite tanks to have because it gives you an excuse to have an extra tank. But I'm going to start talking about the hospital tank and a quarantine tank. So for all of my listeners out there who do not know what it is, can you explain to us the difference between a hospital tank and a quarantine tank? And also, do corals require a quarantine tank? Well, that's a very good question. Uh, That's a two-part question. Let me see. Quarantine tanks are there to quarantine animals before they actually get into the main display tank. A hospital tank is used for uh, fish and corals who are pulled out of your display tank and need to be treated. So one's preventative and one is for treatment. Uh, Now, a lot of people actually have only one tank to do this, which I don't blame them. But, you know, if you wanted to go ahead and treat a fish or you don't want to put a diseased fish in with quarantine fish, then some people actually have a separate hospital tank. Uh, and, yes, uh, there is a difference. You you have uh, fish uh, quarantine tanks and hospital tanks, and you have coral uh, quarantine tanks. And the reason is is because the uh, treatments used on fish are a lot more stressful. Uh, like, for example, uh, a lot of people use hyposalinity on fish to kill cryptocarrion irritans, um, ick on their fish, or marine velvet and so on and so forth, uh, those type of diseases. Um, so... Corals don't do well when you uh, take out the salt in the water and do hypoxalinity. Uh Also, uh, treatment for uh, ick on fish uses copper, and copper, chelated copper, is uh, extremely hazardous to corals. They'll kill corals in a matter of seconds. 
<laughs> seen them waste away and disappear uh, very quickly with any type of coral, uh, with any type of uh, copper in the system. Uh, so, yes, there is a difference between fish uh, quarantine in hospital and coral uh, quarantine in hospital. Very well said. That was a great answer. So I think everyone should have two tanks, two separate tanks, a hospital tank and a quarantine tank, so it keeps life simple for you. Well, you know, uh, you can only do as much as you budget for. Like in my example, uh, as a uh, guy on a budget, I only have one tank, and that's my display tank. And I actually occasionally let the uh, fish store owner keep my fish for a little bit longer at the store to kind of watch and watch them and see if they have any type of diseases and and stuff. Um, as far as my corals go, uh, I usually only buy aquaculture corals from trusted dealers. And these dealers uh, are typically other aquarists uh, who who have treated their tanks for uh, diseases that they're aware of, like uh, red bugs or uh, Montipore-eating flatworms or acro-eating flatworms or uh, anything like that that uh, could get into your system. Uh, there's also treatments that you can do on corals that doesn't require hosp- hospital or quarantine tanks. Well, uh, the most recent example is bare insect uh, repellent or pesticide. Uh, it's, it's uh, I believe, bare advanced. Please do some more research into it before you actually <laughs> use insecticide on <laughs> any corals. But that's the latest DIY trend is to use bare advanced insecticide on uh, SPS corals and and some LPS corals. Uh, but definitely make sure you do your research. Never actually put a pesticide in a display tank for whatever reason. <laughs> Never do it. <laughs> warning, warning. Don't try it at home. <laughs> yeah, that'd be total failure. But, yeah, uh, there are pest treatments that you can do before you add your corals into the tank. Uh, I used to have a soft coral tank, and I had these green star polyps, uh, which is a a beginner coral to begin with. And I was very proud of those green star polyps. And I put them in my tank, and they were doing okay, and then all of a sudden they started walking off (laughs) about two weeks later. (laughs) And then I realized, oh, wait, those aren't uh, green star polyps. Those are uh, 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 some type of nudibroch that looks like a green star polyp. And a nudibroch is basically a sea slug. And these sea slugs had eaten all of my green star polyps and were going around the rest of my tank trying to find more green star polyps to eat. And so... Uh, you kind of got to be aware. You got to look at what you're buying. You got to, you know, kind of look for pests before you even put them in the tank or even dip your corals in, in a, a coral dip uh, before adding to your tank. 
Uh, you know, there's a lot of preventative measures that you can take if you don't have a quarantine or hospital tank to begin with, or even a frag tank or whatever. Very well said. So now we're going to talk about fish and coral diseases, and we'll start with the fish diseases. What are some common fish diseases, and what sort of steps can a person take to help help the fish recover? Well, uh, one of the absolute most common fish diseases is uh, cryptocarrion irritans. It's uh, ick, marine ick. Uh, it can be treated with copper hyposalinity. Of course, look it up, follow the directions as as much as you can. Hyposalinity is basically taking the salinity uh, of the tank down. I should say specific gravity because I'm using these measurements uh, from your usual 1.022 or so to down to 1.009, I believe it is. Uh, of course, double check me before you actually do the procedure. Uh, it takes about six weeks or so of hyposalinity. Uh, and I think roughly the same time period for copper treatment. Copper, you follow the directions, it says to get it up to 1 ppm uh, cupramine in your system and then let the fish do its thing. Uh, of course, you, the main thing is looking for stress in a fish. So if you have a fish that's in a tiny aquarium and it's a big fish, uh, like putting a tank, uh, uh, big tang in a four-foot or a two-foot tank, uh, it's just not going to work. They don't have room to swim. They're going to get stressed out. Stress causes ick or uh, marine velvet or any other type of fish disease that's already on them. Uh, so uh, the best thing to do is not to stress out your fish by buying the proper size fish for your your aquarium. Uh, there are some natural, uh, all, I, I, I don't know if I believe all the marketing hype, but there's a, a product called Herbtana or Herbtana uh, that is technically made for reef tanks with fish that have ick, uh, and they've successfully treated fish with ick, with Herbtana. Uh, I don't know exactly, you know, if, if that's because the fish got less stressed and was able to fight it off naturally. Because usually there's about a 50% chance, as long as the fish is not stressed, that it will actually get over ick on its own. Uh, if you in, end up taking them out of your tank and putting them in a hospital tank, you actually kind of increase their chances of being stressed and then you actually have to treat them and all of that. So, you know, it just depends on your level of uh, experience and, and commitment uh, to treating your fish as to what method you might want to choose to treat them. Very well said, and I learned a lot about treating fish diseases, and luckily so far, my clownfish and my goby are, have not come down sick yet, so I'm lucky in that sense. Mm, that's great. Uh, one last note, there's something called isopods, and, and isopods are basically huge crustaceans uh, that can live on or, or inside the mouth of fish. Uh 
Oh, they feed on the blood supply of the fish, and it's just really weird. They're really weird little creatures. Uh, but I like I like weird <laughs> personally. But uh, basically, <laughs> the procedure is to catch the fish, uh, gently pull it off, and uh, crush its body into oblivion. <laughs> but uh, usually, uh, you'll know that there's an isopod on a fish uh, at the fish store before you even buy it, and and then you ask your your fish store owner, say, "Hey, I want that fish, but I don't want the isopod with it. Take care of it, please." <laughs> Uh, so, anyways, what's next? So, my last question for you is actually about coral diseases. So, what are some common coral diseases, and what are some of the steps you can take to overcome these diseases? Uh, coral diseases. There's, there's actually not many diseases. Uh, there's. Uh, one that I, there are actually two that I'm extremely aware of, uh, that's a problem in the ocean right now. And, um, that's black, uh, black Lyme disease and white Lyme disease. It's affecting a lot of LPS corals. Um, it's, it's basically, it develops a white or a black line across the coral and anything on one side of the line is, uh, dead and on the other side of the line is, is still alive but fixing to die um, there are uh, tons of pests in the ocean there's probably more pests than actually living other living things that are decent and good in the world uh, but uh, anyways you, you have anything from gorilla crabs that are That'll catch your fish and eat them, or or anything like that. Um, then there's uh, isopods. There's um, nudibranchs that'll eat your corals. There's uh, flatworms, Montipora and Acropora eating flatworms. Uh, for those of you listening, uh, I say Acropora. Uh, some of you might say Acropora. Uh, I've heard it said both ways. I've um, you know, been to Magna and uh, listened to those lectures and Acropora and Acropora uh, are just the same thing. Anyways, uh, those are two different pests. Uh, you got red bugs. Those are for mainly SPS corals. Uh, a lot of different nudibranchs. Uh, one of the the ways you can tell if a nudibranch or a sea slug is bad for your tank, because not all uh, nudibranchs are bad, uh, but there's a quite a collection of them that are. Uh, basically, my theory is if you see any type of little wavy things that are coming off of it, like uh, uh, I think they're actually gills or gill slits or whatever, if you see uh, a crown of wavy things on them, uh, uh, they're bad. Uh, <laughs> pull them out as soon as you can um, and uh, uh, crush them into little bits. But make a video of it first and post it on the Internet. I love watching that kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds pretty interesting. Um, another type of pest, two two different uh, common 
types of anemones that um, are bad in a saltwater tank, which are very common, uh, is aptasia or glass anemones. Uh, they'll sting your fish. They'll steal food. Uh, they'll grow big. They, if um, for whatever reason one of their tentacles breaks off, it'll start another another anemone. And uh, they they spread like wildfire. Uh, one of the, the uh, natural predators is a uh, true peppermint fish, not shrimp, excuse me, shrimp. And uh, they'll eat them uh, over time. I've also seen them uh, uh, be killed with vinegar, uh, with lemon juice, with uh, uh, boiling water, uh, which is... Uh, one of my favorites. I like to see him shrink up to nothing. Uh, <laughs> uh, oh no, no, no! That's not my favorite way of killing a glass anemone. Uh, if you look on the internet, look for uh, uh, Aptasia laser, <laughs> and you'll see people actually lasering through their glass and, and killing these anemones. It's really cool. Uh, but there's there's tons of different ways to kill glass anemones. Uh, the other uh, anemone that's bad is a Mahano anemone, and they can be killed through the same methods as a glass anemone. Uh, look up uh, different pictures to make sure that you're not killing something uh, that's really nice, like a rose anemone or something like that, uh, instead of, of a Mahano. Uh, but there are tons of different pests out there. There's uh, sundial snails. There's uh, some people don't like vermitted snails. Uh, some people don't like bristle worms. I think they're really good detrivores, though. Um, be careful of fire worms. Uh, they sting. Their their little spicules hurt quite a bit when you touch them. Trust me, I know. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Oh, uh, let me see. What other pests do I know right off the bat? Uh, zoanthid eating um, something, snails. Uh, there's different types of spider-looking creatures out there. Uh, you just kind of got to be aware of what is and around uh, your corals. If you start to see some things disappear, Make sure you're observing it really well as to, you know, what might be staying close to it. And observe it at night uh, with a red flashlight. You might be surprised what you find. Very well said. That was some wonderful information. And I know you, you provided a lot of great information on tonight's show, so I really appreciate that. Yeah, thank you very much for having me again. I believe next time we talk, we're going to talk about um, equipment and uh, what else? And the cleanup crew. We're going to talk about equipment in the first half of the show, and we'll we'll talk about uh, inverts and the cleanup crew in the second half of the show. Can't wait for that. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about that, going into more detail. I, I'm an equipment guy myself. Uh, I got into it because of the beautiful colors, but, of course, I stay in it because of the, the really neat equipment that you can buy for the tanks. 
we're going to go into more detail about advanced equipment, uh, uh, aquarium controllers, and so on and so forth. And then we'll also be talking about uh, different cleanup crew that you can buy to maintain uh, algae and diatoms and such in your aquarium over time. Awesome. I can't wait for that. I'm looking forward to that great show. Yep, me too. Well, I want to thank you so much for being here tonight. You did a fantastic job. I definitely learned a lot. I know listeners did too. I'd like to also personally thank all of our listeners from saltwaterfish.com. I appreciate your listens, and I appreciate everyone who tuned into today's show. Hope you guys enjoy the saltwater aquarium hobby. Now, coming up this Monday, November 30th at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, I've got some breaking news for the American Variety Network. And also, I've got a very special guest coming on the show This Monday, I have somebody that the saltwater hobbyists are familiar with. That is the sales manager from Care of Sea, who sells the live sand, uh, Hawaiian black, wheezy pink, Argy Alive, and all those great popular live sands. They also have uh, Life Rock, which is rock that is similar to Live Rock without the pest, and a lot of great saltwater stuff. He'll be here on Monday to discuss some new products that are coming out for 2016, as well as talk about the new products on the market right now, Coral Up by Carob Sea. And I actually have some of those in my office right now. And we'll talk about that on Monday, November 30th at 9 p.m. Eastern, right here on the American Variety Network. So I'd like to thank you guys for listening to this great show. Have a great rest of your Saturday evening, and I hope you guys enjoy the saltwater hobby. Alex and Seth, we say goodbye to you guys. Good night, everyone. Yo, okay, 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 I heard about enough. You're the hottest thing around, shit, I'ma call you bluff. I'ma call you out, wanna see what you're about. Take a fucking shot at me and see who ends up underground. I am on my game like sweetness. Never had an off day, every track's the freakness. I'm off to the races, see no competition. Laughing these fat cats, y'all about to bear witness. I last of a dying breed, ooh, the irony. I got these dudes jealous, cause she's not fucking me. And why wouldn't she? Have you seen me? I'm out here striking oil, y'all fuck lazy. They say I'm feeling myself, huh, you're damn right. Cause I'm out the gate swinging with a lad pipe. I'm off the reservation, no time for conversation. All I see is bitch shit, menstruation. Yeah, make room. Motherfucker, make room. I'm coming for you, and you. Hey yo, I don't think they heard me. I got your girl's mouth full like Kirby. Ears perking, got your brain bursting. Egos hurting, shock therapy's working. Ha <laughs> ha, what you thought? Your stock hit? Homie, you crashed. Nasdaq, stop it. You ain't a draft pick. You got no pockets. 
you're a bad investment, no profit. Lay off the cannabis, you're a fucking amateur. I'm out here running marathons, step up your stamina. If you're an animal, I'm a fucking cannibal. If I am my intangible, check out the mandible. With this mouth of mine, I've been out of line. Like a thousand times, I'm out of mind. I murder tracks, Columbine. Oh, you ain't heard? I'm so absurd. All I hit is nerves. Yeah, first I was in your head, and now I'm down your throat. Let me see that gag reflex. Yeah, I bet you choke. Let's go toe to toe. Watch me push that envelope. Sex, drugs, rock and roll. There's no telling where I'm gonna go. So to tone it down, but I think the opposite. Cause I'm on fire now. Feeling like an arsonist. Yo, your game's a mess. By the time I make room, you need a spring clean and I'ma wipe the floor with you. Check your radar, I'm out here with a chainsaw. I can eat someone's face off, cause I'm tripping all bass off. That's it, I've lost it. Y'all best be cautious. Locked on my prey, I'm a grade A marksman. Yeah, make room. Motherfucker, make room. I'm coming for you and you. That's all, folks.